Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Bossed Up, the podcast episode 16. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, and I love to help women craft happy, healthy, and sustainable career paths. And if there's anything you can count on facing over the course of your career, nowadays, that is change, a fork in the road, an unforeseen circumstance that creates a crisis or creates a new opportunity. Perhaps they're one in the same, depending on how you perceive them. The new normal of our career paths in today's day and age is preparing for change. So being agile and being comfortable with pivoting when you're weighing a choice between one job and another or between staying in your particular job or considering a new opportunity, well, that's a choice that we're all going to face over the course of our careers. Now, you know by now that I'm a hip-hop fan, but I am also a big fan of classic rock. I happen to be learning to play the drums right now, and classic rock is where it's at. And all I kept thinking about in preparing for today's conversation was this great song by The Clash, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Because that's what's at the core of today's listener-submitted career conundrum from Alexia. Take a listen. Hi, my name is Alexia. I'm calling from Buffalo, New York. I'm having an issue with the fact that I have two really great opportunities. I have been offered a job with Amazon as an entry-level warehouse manager in Northern California. It would be paying a little bit more than I make now, and it would be a paid move. I'm also currently working as a manager with Penske Truck Leasing, which comes with a lot of benefits, company car and whatnot. All of my family is in California, and I'm currently living in New York. I'm having a hard time deciding whether or not my current position and the opportunities I may get are worth staying and how to judge the fact that Amazon's company culture hasn't been something that I'm exactly excited about. So trying to decide whether or not career and family and those opportunities are worth leaving what I currently have. Alexia, thank you so much for calling in with a very specific and detailed career conundrum, because the details you gave really help us understand the cost-benefit analysis that you're weighing right now, something that all of us face at one point or another in our career paths. Should we stay and experience what economists call opportunity costs, by turning down prospective opportunities? Or should we go? Should we open up the mystery door of change and leave behind a career and job that we've already been building for some time, the good things we already got going on? 
Is the Grass Greener in a New Office? And helping me break down this common career conundrum today is the fantastic author, career and business strategist, and international speaker, Jenny Blake, who authored the book Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One, back in 2016. After two years at a tech startup, followed by five years at Google in training and career development, Jenny moved to New York City in 2011, where she's been running her own consulting practice in the years since. Jenny combines her love for technology and her superpowers. Jenny is the go-to resource for anyone who's facing a pivot in their career or in their business. And I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today, Jenny. Thanks for being here. It's such an honor. Thank you for having me. So first, let's start from the beginning of your story before we dive into Alexia's really on-point conundrum here. How did you, Jenny, get into this kind of business? Well, every time I faced a fork in the road like Alexia is that it always felt like a crisis. I remember my first opportunity was working at a startup as the first employee Well, before I had even finished at UCLA, then after two years, I hit a plateau and I was too terrified to tell the founder. So I started interviewing for Google in my car on lunch break, (laughs) pivoted over to Google. And then uh, sure enough, a couple of years in hit another pivot point, which I didn't have the language for it at the time. So again, felt like a crisis. I just thought I must be one of those entitled millennials that the media keeps talking about. Why can't I be happy? I'm at Google, the Disneyland of companies. Mm. Thankfully, I ran into a friend in the parking lot and was able to pivot internally there. And then, boom, two years later, my first book was coming out. I left to start my own business. That also was not an easy decision to make. I joke that it was like breaking up with Brad Pitt. People's (laughs) reactions was like, what? You really think you can do better than Google? How dare you leave this place? And now I've been on my own for seven years with plenty of ups and downs in the meantime. So I can relate to hitting a fork in the road. And as you said, Emily, the, in some ways, she, Alexia can't go wrong. She's at a great, in a great position and you have the luxury of choice. Sure. But I know how overwhelming it can be and how intimidating as well. How do you decide? These are big life questions. I'm so glad you mentioned butting up against that entitled millennial stereotype too, because on top of the sheer panic that you feel at times when faced with this fork in the road, layered upon that is this public narrative that you should somehow feel guilty for giving up something that you've got already. There's an economics principle about the, you know, we don't want to give up something we already have because we don't cost fallacy. Yeah, yeah, right. We're on the road already. We've put in our time here. Who am I? you know, such an entitled millennial to walk away and pursue something differently. And you've said before that the new economy that we find ourselves in really supports people who pivot. What do you mean by that? Well, we're all pivoting and getting pivoted much more often than even our parents' generation. And one of the biggest takeaways when I was interviewing people for pivot was that Almost always a pivot involves saying no to something relatively good. Mm. A lot of people aren't pivoting from a place of total destitution. And, you know, in that case, take a job, any job, like just to earn income is going to be helpful. But for so many people that I spoke with, there is a John Maxwell quote, you have to say no to the good so you can say yes to the best. Mm. And we don't always know what that is. But one of the hardest parts about pivoting is saying no to something that's probably going fine. And so 
in Alexia's example, you know, I couldn't quite hear it at your voice, Alexia, if you were just delighted to be in Buffalo and you love your job, or maybe as Emily's saying, okay, you've invested, you have a couple years there, you may be nearing a sense of completion. And ultimately, it's some of those inner signals, not listening to the shoulds of society, friends, family, parents. I mean, everyone's going to have an opinion, but it's that inner voice that's most helpful. And especially, I don't know if you remember, Emily, playing the hotter, colder game as a kid. Yeah, I had a brother. So where one person hides something around the house and as you go looking, they say, cold, cold, colder, freezing, hot, hot, hotter. Sometimes in the beginning of a decision like this, that's all you have to go off of. Right. Hot, hotter or cold, colder. Well, it's so funny because we, I think as women in particular, have been taught that our intuition is not good enough of a reason to make a life choice. We've been taught that, oh, that's just women being emotional. You have to be rational to make the right choice when faced with something like this. And that can cause so many people, men and women alike, I presume, to back away from listening to their gut in terms of what's hotter and what's colder, and instead making these comparable, you know, lists, the comparison, which is a really hard list to say, okay, well, how much does being close to my family uh, matter compared to having a company car? It's like apples and oranges, right? Mm. Oh, I'm so glad you said that about intuition. I in the process of working my way through some of my biggest dips in running my own business, getting to zero, not sure how I was going to pay rent in two weeks. I realized that the thing I was so focused on what I didn't want and what my fears were, that none of it was propelling me forward. And I committed almost out of survival that I was going to listen to that voice. I was going to surrender my need to control everything. I was going to just say, I surrender. I don't Mm. know the right thing to do. Show me the next step. And this is show me who I was for the first time in my life talking to something bigger than me. And, and then I made this promise once I started to practice the muscle of intuition, because it does grow stronger over time where it becomes more subtle and I can, I can hear it more that I realized I'm going to put that first and foremost that is that now. And I'm again, I'm so glad you said what you did. Now I feel like my intuition is the best resource I have. It is the best decision maker and I don't need a reason. We've all been in situations where maybe you were out at a bar, out somewhere, and you 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 see a person, your mm-hmm. intuition. I mean, that's where it's at like a total base fear level. You don't need a good intellectual reason to walk away. <laughs> you just do. And sometimes in our careers, you might not know in the moment, but it will become clear to you later on why it ended up being the perfect decision. Right. And so sometimes our intuition is just multiple steps ahead of where our logic is. It's so funny. You have me cracking up over here because you're reminding me of my dating life a little bit, my dating history, I should say, in which I remember distinctly making this shift in my own mindset between, okay, I have to rationalize why I'm breaking up with this person, which took me three years of my life to do, which was not a fun way to learn that lesson, to then going on and a year or so later re-entering the dating pool 
dating this guy for two weeks who I quickly realized fell into all the same, you know, problematic red flags were popping up like my pattern of dating <laughs> had had really amounted to up until that point. And I remember saying to myself, you know what? No, I'm out. I'm out. I don't have a good reason. <laughs> my gut is saying no. And I don't have to justify this to this other person. And it sounds a little harsh, Right. In some ways, it sounds a little harsh to say, just listen to your gut and screw the rest of the world. But there's a power and an agency that I think comes from bossing up in that way and saying, listen, my intuition is as important a data point as all the research I can do, all the planning I can do, all the predicting and calculating that I can do, which we as women are so damn good at. And our education mm. system really reinforces. So has that ever been a part of forks in the road that you've made or those kinds of decisions that you've made or that women or folks who've been in the pivot community have you've witnessed them make as well? Absolutely. By the way, I have almost the same dating trajectory. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's funny. I'm thankful to be with a wonderful person now, but it came as a result of same had a few toxic relationships in a row. Then by the time something clicked and I had a relationship, just like the one you described, right? Yeah. It would have seemed from the outside like I ended it very abruptly. But I think of it like you get inoculated from the flu. Like once you've had the flu enough time, yes. you know, you can kind of get this a shortcut. Jenny, I've made a huge mistake. I should have had you on the podcast yeah. for us to just talk about being a boss woman and figuring out dating. We'll have to have you back on the show. Oh my gosh, <laughs> totally. People have asked, can you apply a pivot method to dating? Yes. Oh man. And to just be real about the struggles. And I think there are so many parallels from dating to career. And one thing that I'll say is the heart is huge here. So on paper, especially for Alexia, both opportunities sound good on paper. So the differentiator is going to be, what is your heart calling you? It may be the case that Amazon's culture isn't great and maybe you don't last there forever. However, it gets you closer to your family and all of a sudden a niece or nephew is born and there could become snowball effects of right. making that move that bring joy and spark joy in your heart, or maybe even just the adventure of moving to a new place, the adventure of taking a leap, that could outweigh the current situation unless there are factors that are sort of that pulling the heart magnet mm. right where you are. And we can pull from actually Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who has his regret minimization framework. And he asks himself for any decision. He says, when I'm 80 years old and I look back, what will I regret more? Taking this opportunity or not taking it? Mm, yes. Doing something nice for future you, <laughs> right? Trying to put exactly. yourself into the future and say, looking back, will I regret never having explored this opportunity because I was afraid to give up what I currently have? It's a really powerful way to frame it. Yes. And I also try to pay attention to, am I taking action out of fear or just trying to stay safe? Right. Or am I taking action in a direction that calls me, that inspires me, that stretches me? Yes. So for Alexia's situation, it may be a case of which one feels safe and like a should and which one is actually compelling and feels like, yes, there's adventure and growth here. 
And there's something to be said about what you mentioned earlier in letting things happen a little bit. Or what was the term you used? You said um, relinquishing control, right? Yeah, and surrender. Surrendering, which is such an interesting philosophy to present to a very together person. A lot of the women in our community at Bossed Up are all about taking ownership over their life choices. But I feel like surrender reminds me of a line in our manifesto, the Bossed Up Manifesto, which is forgive yourself for the less than perfect decisions you will make. All Mm. you can do when faced with a fork in the road is make the best decision you can with the information you have at the time. And allow yourself to be surprised, right? Maybe you'll be surprised in a good way, hopefully, or a not so good way, but there's no perfect way to make a decision. That is so true. And no decision, especially when it comes to our career, is ever final. You go, that's the good news. So although it's more, our economy now produces so much more anxiety because nothing is that stable, even if you get a job at a company, especially one that moves as quickly as Amazon, there are a lot of reorgs. At Google, we used to joke that we were reorging more than we were orging. There was always (laughs) another reorg around the corner. It was very nerve wracking. Yeah. But the good news of that is that you're no longer the black sheep or the person that has a super black mark on their resume. If you've changed every couple of years, that's the new normal. Mm -hmm. And I saw people change by choice and by circumstance. We can't even always choose when we pivot. Sometimes change chooses us. So take some of the pressure off of having to have this next decision be the most perfect decision you've ever made. And instead know that decisions are data. Right. And whichever route you take, you're going to learn, you're going to learn about yourself and you'll start to just shape more and more what is exciting and what you do really enjoy and what you're really great at. Yes. And you have done a lot of deep diving into making those kinds of pivots work and making them work to provide the best data you can possibly get from that decision point in your life. Can you tell us a little bit more about the pivot methodology? And obviously, we should read the book if we want the fine detail. But what does the pivot method really mean to you? Well, I thought about a basketball player who, when they stop dribbling, one foot is planted. That's their source of strength and stability, their foundation. And then from that strength, the pivot foot can stand for passing options. Mm. What I realized I was doing and the mistake many other pivoters make is that when we reach a pivot point, we focus so much on what we don't want and what we don't know or what we're afraid of that it doesn't propel us forward, kind of like I said earlier. So... Instead, if you can look at what is working, what am I enjoying? What are my strengths? And what does success look like one year from now? Not five years out. That's way too far. But what would I be proud to share with friends and family, even by Christmas time? What does success look like? And if you can have those two things, that's now the plant foot. That creates the anchor and the stability to scan, is the second stage, scan for people, skills, and projects that would build on your strengths and would build toward that one-year vision. For a lot of pivot points when it comes to career, I think one of the best questions is, how am I excited to grow? Mm. Which opportunity will give me the best skills and the best connections? And which environment would be most conducive to growing your network? And there are so many invaluable things that even if you don't plan to stay forever, can give you skills and build on your strengths that you can then parlay into another move, two moves out. Right. And then... The third stage of the pivot method is pilot. This is like passing the ball around the court, running small experiments to see what fits. And then the fourth stage is launch. But 
it's a cycle. So you would plant scan pilot over and over and over until you're ready to launch. Mm. In this case, it might involve calling a few people who work at Amazon or doing a little more research, understanding what the day-to-day job is like, asking if you could go out for a site visit, uh, seeing if there's any local extensions in your area. So maybe it's a matter of getting a few more little experiments or data points so that you can hear your intuition speaking a little more loudly. Sometimes it's just, for me, surrender is not giving up all agency over the whole process, but it's saying, all right, what's one next step I can take? And then I sort of surrender the whole decision (laughs) on the whole, but I am going to look for one next step or one next clue. It's very Buddhist, right? Like All I'm getting yeah. are these very Buddhist <laughs> vibes of Ben, don't break, right? Let the world yeah. happen. Observe without judgment. Easier said than done for all of us. <laughs> and, you know, be aware of what's happening around you and that you don't control all of it. I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it. But here's my conundrum, right? Here's the challenge I can hear in that method already What would you say to the career changer, the job seeker, who's not sure she's entitled to that kind of time, deliberation, research, and that even asking, hey, can I have another week to consider this job offer? Or can I come on site? Can you pay me to come out there? Can you fly me out? Can I get some more information? There's a sense of entitlement built right in to this method. And I use that word in a very positive way the rest of the world doesn't always, what would you say to the job seeker who's not sure how to ask the world or the other stakeholders in this situation for what she needs to really make a decision that feels good? I'm not a believer in sending yourself into a panic. So if the thought of asking to be flown across the country to go for a site visit (laughs) incites panic, don't do it. But ask, is there someone I can speak with over the phone who has this position? You have every right to interview the company as much as they're interviewing you. And so find something that's in your stretch zone, you know, like to do nothing and get no information and just be locked up out of fear of the unknown. That's not going to be helpful either. But how can you stretch yourself a little bit? And the other thing is know that it's normal to want more information and it's normal to negotiate your salary. Totally. I'm Emily, you've done plenty of stuff for boss <laughs> stuff on salary negotiations and even for solopreneurs charging what they're worth, but you got to at least ask totally. and everyone's going to ask. So even though it's uncomfortable, that's where I do think it's important to know. And, and again, ask yourself, what are the most vital things that I need to make a decision? Mm. Maybe there's some must have crucial pieces of information that you want to add to the picture here. And then the other stuff that's okay, you're willing to take a risk on. So if you can separate out what the one or two things that you do feel really strongly about asking, you can let some of the other stuff go. And in general, I would just try and reframe, you know, Byron Katie, I love the work, which is any thought that causes stress is like a compassionate alarm clock waking you up. So if you have a judgment about yourself that, oh, this is entitled or I can't ask for this, you can turn it around. And we, I don't, we probably don't have time to go into it here. But if you go to the work.com, Byron Katie has a ton of resources. There's a free worksheet that cool. can help you unpack stressful thoughts to help feel more empowered and more calm as you go through what can be a very stressful process. I kind of love how you're a human quote book right now. <laughs> Oh, and then I you can book book. Pull these. You I can pull these quotes out. Them. I love it. 
<laughs> I love reading. I've probably, I've almost eight or 900 books in a studio apartment. Wow. Like, I'm the old lady that lives in her book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to be. And you know yeah. what you were just saying, not to take it back to the dating metaphor, but apparently that's all I want to talk about with you. <laughs> is <laughs> I that it. I love it. You know, interviewing the company that's interviewing you is the same exact thing as going on a date. Obviously, you want to put your best foot forward. And that's what we're all trying to do here. But you better be analyzing and examining if that person's right for you and if that job's right for you too. So having a sense of self-worth is another way of, of describing it, not just entitlement, but knowing that I am worthy of considering this offer as much as I want them to consider me. And mm -hmm. it takes a, a strong foundation of self-worth to be brave and courageous and ask for the information you need to make an informed decision. Yes. I wrote a blog post back in 2009 called Stop Auditioning for Other People's Lives. Yes. And still it comes up for me as a reminder. I am a recovering people pleaser, worrier, perfectionist. I've done all of these things. I'm constantly having to notice when I fall into people pleasing, where I'm so busy trying to get someone or something to like me or approve of me. I think it's gotten much better over time. But man, especially in dating, I was notorious. And it was such a yeah. blind spot. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And then I started to say, well, what do I want? What's exciting <laughs> to me? And also acceptance. I never had an easy time trying to arrive at self-love. No matter 10 years of reading self-help and you got to love yourself before you can love anyone else. It didn't really work for me. So what worked for me was just trusting in myself I call it self-trust mm. and self-resourcefulness. Like I knew that I was resourceful. So whether you love yourself 100% or not should not stop you from moving forward. If anything, you can act as if, but drop the need to even feel 100% worthy or mm. whatever the thing. Just keep going and trust that you are creative and resourceful and can respond in the moment to when you get new information. So even salary negotiation, if in the moment they come back with a terrible offer, trust that you'll know what to do. You'll have a feeling in your body that this is too low. It's unacceptable. I'd rather not take the job or any variation on that. Maybe you'll be jumping for joy. Hopefully. Right. Exactly. And you're sparking another line from our manifesto at Boss Up, which is, you know, it's not about having confidence through every situation or that sort of chest beating bravado. It's about have confidence in your ability to figure it out and that ability oh, I love it. to pivot. You know, having self-trust, I think it's a great way of putting it. I've got a couple more questions for you here pertaining to Alexia's situation in particular. I love that this listener brings up professional considerations like her ability to grow and have more responsibilities in a new professional adventure, as well as the personal. And here at Bus Stop, I've always believed that the personal is not just political. The personal is professional. You've got to be willing to give yourself permission to consider those things related to our lives that aren't really related to our career ambitions when making big life choices. What would you say to someone who's struggling between, okay, well, this is the better option for my career, and that is the better option for my life? Well, again, nothing is permanent. So if you are single and unattached and you don't have to coordinate with a partner and children and all those things, yeah, then 
And if family is so important to you, Alexia might consider, okay, well, I actually do want to stay in Buffalo, but my family is important to me. How can I make sure I can still visit frequently? Or maybe it is very compelling that you want to be near your family. And in that case, trust that the professional dominoes will fall into place as well. Mm. I really do believe that if we make the best decision for our whole self, not just our career self, that we'll be happier, we'll be more fulfilled. These are the things that people reflect on on their deathbed is wanting to spend more time with loved ones. Yeah. So to know that it doesn't have to be either or. And in fact, I often try and find the third sacred solution. So it's like, whatever you think is in opposition to each other, just insert the word and. Mm. How can I advance my career and spend quality time with my family? And that could come in many, many different ways beyond even this decision. Yes. And maybe we don't need to martyr ourselves for career success. Maybe we could actually have a sustainably successful path that says, you know, I am worthy of what I want personally, and I can still strive for what I want professionally. I think that's the only way forward. We are killing ourselves for our careers and it's not working. Yeah. Look at like, I burnt out so many times and at Google because I was also doing my own thing on the side. But the day that I stopped caring about getting promoted, I said, I don't care if I ever get promoted here again. And I was just so relieved. I started liking my work more. I relaxed. I even still exceeded expectations. It's not like I was now on the path to getting fired. <laughs> right. I still did my job and I did it well. Yeah. So I was no longer gripped and obsessed right. with chasing something that felt elusive and stressful. I just don't believe in it. And I do think this is a privilege as well to try and reduce stress in our careers. Sure, Not everyone's in a position to do that, but I think it's crucial, crucial for our long-term health and happiness. Yeah. I like to introduce the concept to a lot of the folks that I work with, especially very young professionals who are straight out of the educational system and into their first real job. And that's the concept of giving 80% instead of 100%, which doesn't even get talked about. You know what I mean? It's like, what a radical notion. Maybe you can reserve 20% for whatever else you got going on in your life. Like, maybe you're worth that. And it is a privilege in an economy that still forces so many folks into struggle, full-time working folks, especially those working for minimum wage or trying to patch together and make ends meet for a family. That's hard. But even you, right, even the person who's struggling to build the foundation upon we can build an American dream, what's left of that, not to get on my political soapbox here, but, you know, even you are worthy of effort and energy in your personal life. Everyone is worthy of effort and energy put into their personal well-being in addition to effort and energy put into bringing home a paycheck. Heck yes. I love it. I love it. I am. I love your soapbox. And clearly we could have written the same manifesto. <laughs> like, I mean, not to take away from boss stuff, but it sounds incredible. We're going to have to get drinks, talk about dating and get on our political yeah. soapboxes together. So last question for you, Jenny, because I am so excited to have your work represented here and the amazing book that you've brought to this world. One of the key skills that I've seen you talk about that I think is really helpful for our listeners who are navigating career transition 
is this concept of the mind map. Can you tell us a little bit about the mind map and how you use that tool to encourage sustainable success? Mind maps come in handy for me all the time. It's a way of brainstorming in a nonlinear manner. I'm doing it by hand, which is also a rare art form these days. How analog. Yeah. To make a mind map. I mean, there are, there is mind map software, but I love just <laughs> getting an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And I do one for every year, but you can also do it when you're stuck on a problem or a project. You can outline a book. You can outline anything that you want. But let's look at setting goals or intentions for the year. So I put the year in the middle or even the word values. If you want to try and unpack what's most important to you, values in the middle. And then you draw spokes. Okay, gratitude, service, freedom, security, whatever is important to you in your career. And then from each value or word bubble, draw why. What's important to you about freedom? What does that mean? What are some examples? And maybe what would be some concrete steps that you could take? Or if you're mapping out goals for the year, it might be categories like business, creative projects, learning and growing, friends and family, relationships, you know, wild and crazy, who knows? (laughs) And just brainstorm, go with how do you want to feel in each area? What does success look like? What's important to you about that? What are some small experiments that you could try? And go for quantity, not quality. Try to fill the page. And then when you're done, you can look and see what are some common themes or what are some easy, quick wins that you could take as next steps. Mm, I love that. As a visual learner myself, that really appeals to me because when we're in most need of an exercise like this, I feel is like when we're stuck, when we're at a fork of the road or as a writer, I can say when I'm stuck on a paragraph or a chapter or not quite sure what I'm trying to say here, or what I'm trying to do here, giving yourself the freedom to go analog, to start scrawling and to not aim for perfect, but just aim to get it out of your head and onto the page can be a process of self-discovery. And that discovery can, it sounds like, inform a lot of big decisions. Yes. And just free your mind from having to have the answer Mm. right away. But exactly as you described, just to go broad and go big and be creative. And I think we sometimes lose that with career because we feel that there's so much pressure at that. Yeah, that's such a good point. Well, Jenny, it has been an honor having you on the show today. I know, Alexia, I hope we have given you lots of tools to make this big decision with. Any last words for our listeners who are at a fork in the road that you want them to keep in mind? It's so easy to focus on the biggest career questions. And one thing that I'm doing lately for myself is what am I curious about? And that may have nothing to do with my career at the moment or that I can see any link, but what are the books? What are the podcasts? Even for me, I'm doing more volunteer and service work in New York City that I've lived here seven years and I haven't done. And give yourself permission to, even if it's a half an hour a week or one new book or one podcast, go follow a rabbit hole that sparks Mm. a joy for you that you just have no clue where it's going to lead. And be surprised. Let yourself be surprised. Wasn't Jenny Blake such a boss, y'all? You've got to check out her book, Pivot, which I named my top list of career advice books for women out there when I announced on last Tuesday's episode that I am excited to say I'm also writing a book. If you want to learn more about the Bossed Up book and that journey that I'm on to get that book into your hands with the help of public affairs books, head over to bossedup.org slash 
book where you can learn more and download my list of favorite career advice books for women. Check that out at bossedup.org slash book. Alrighty, y'all. It's time for this week's listener submitted Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hey, Emily. This is Sarah Grooms from the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. And my Boss Move of the Week is that I ran for and won a seat on my kids' school board in this spring's elections. This is something I've known I wanted to do since before I even had kids. And when the seat became available, the timing just felt right, and I went for it. It was a lot of work to create an advisory council for myself, create a separate blog to be in touch with all the interested stakeholders in the community, do lit drops and all the rest, but it paid off, and my first board meeting is next week. I'm very excited and wanted to share this in hopes that it inspires others to go for whatever passion projects they have in mind on the side of what they're doing. Sarah, we are cheering you on, boss. Seeing a former ambassador like you who is leading the charge and spreading the word about Bossed Up and being an awesome community organizer in Milwaukee, step up into this new leadership role on the school board makes me so happy. This is what being a boss is all about. And I know you're going to have an even greater positive impact on your community in this new role. Congratulations, Sarah. And thanks so much for calling in to share your story because you never know who else you're inspiring to get out there and run for office. In fact, I'm especially fired up to see more women running for office after spending this past weekend in Los Angeles at the United State of Women Summit, where on day two of the star-studded summit featuring rock stars like former First Lady Michelle Obama... Jane Fonda, Tarana Burke, and Valerie Jarrett, amongst many other incredible women making waves and making their voices heard in Washington. We also had the chance to run our own day two part of the LA Summit, where we teamed up with She Should Run and Platform Women, two amazing organizations I'll link to in the show notes, to host a day two training with the United State of Women all about owning your power, telling your story in a way that inspires action, and helping women step up as the bosses of their lives, careers, and communities. I wrote a little bit about what I'm taking away from this incredible weekend experience on the Bossed Up blog this week, and I'll link to that in the show notes below. As always, you can learn more about all these links I'm mentioning and more at bossedup.org slash episode 16. If you've got a Boss Moves moment you want to share on the podcast or a career conundrum you want us to unpack next, hit me up on the podcast hotline where you can call and leave a voicemail right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. In the meantime, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll continue to lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And 
it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.